0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to History Worth Repeating. L P Hartley wrote that the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. My name is Barbara Brooks and I'm a Professor Emerita
1: at the University of Otago. And my name is Sonia Tiernan. I'm the Eamon Cleary Professor of Irish Studies at the University of Otago. Together, over this series of podcasts, we want to canvas wide aspects of the past, from individual stories to national histories, from political events to emotional tides. We believe that some
0: history is worth repeating, especially if those histories have been previously overlooked, ignored or not deemed worthy of entry into the history books.
1: And... Today's guest is Magella Collinan. Originally from Ireland, hailing from the county of Limerick, Magella has lived in New Zealand for the last 12 years. Magella, or should I say Dr. Cullinan, is the first person to graduate with a PhD in creative practice from the University of Otago. She's received numerous accolades for her creative writing. Her debut novel, The Life of Death, was long listed for the 2019 New Zealand Book Awards for Fiction, and her second poetry collection, Whisper of a Crow's Wing was selected as the New Zealand listeners' 10 best poetry books of 2018. And Migella is currently a professional practice fellow in creative writing at the University of Otago. And you're very welcome, Migella. Thanks, Anya. Very nice to have you here. And before we talk about your work
0: about the Irish immigration story, uh I think on one of these podcasts, I talked about my own family's uh, immigration to New Zealand. We wondered a little bit about your own story. Um, why did you come here? My my father came here, so I'm a product yeah. of a I'm a second generation, but a true Kiwi. So tell us right. about your own story.
2: Um, well, well, mine's got to do with meeting a Kiwi. So um, when I was when I graduated from UCD, I did a diploma in English language teaching for a year. Um, basically because I wanted to travel. I thought if I did English language, I could go traveling. Um, And I always wanted to go to, well, I I wanted to go to Italy because I studied Italian, but then I ended up actually getting a job in Spain. So I was working in a little town about an hour from Madrid called Ciudad Real. And there was a language school there called Liffey Language School, (coughs) right? And the guy that owned it, he owned the Liffey Language School, which was full of Irish teachers, bar I think there was one English and one Australian or something like that. And he also owned the local Irish pub. He was an absolute hibernophile. He, would ju- he just wanted to hire Irish people. So while I was working there, there was another teacher. Um, I won't say what nationality was, but he was a little bit unhinged, shall we say, and he was let go. And his replacement was Andrew from New Zealand, mm-hmm. right? So um, so I was, what, 24 at the time, and Andrew and I met in New Zealand. And then I left to go working in the UK, um, in Suffolk, actually. I'd worked summers there before, and then Andrew kind of followed, and he had a, a job in England as well. And then from there, we just kind of went from Spain to Greece to the UK to Scotland and then when we were in Scotland, there was a recession and everyone was going on about, you know, we're just so tired about listening to this recession on the radio that we thought Andrew was like, oh, well, we've been in Europe now for about eight, nine years. Will we go to New Zealand? Because the recession hasn't come to New Zealand yet. <laughs> and so we packed up and we went to New Zealand. This was 2008. And lo and behold, the recession came and I got a job language teaching in the University of Auckland, but he was unemployed for six months. But eventually, anyway, he got a job in, in IT in Wellington and we've kind of, we lived in Wellington, then we lived in Paikakariki and then we moved down south to Dunedin for the Burns Fellowship. So that's kind of, that's in a nutshell, really.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there are many... Uh-
1: Immigration is caused by meeting yeah. foreigners. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There has to be. And especially Kiwis, they seem to have a certain attraction that <laughs> <laughs> that, that has caused a lot of people to move over here. Um but also we're really interested in it also in a different in an earlier episode, we did look at nineteenth uh, century Irish immigrants. But actually what we discussed, which which we found interesting, but it's immigration as a group, people as a group. But you've actually researched four Irish women women who moved to New Zealand during the 19th century. So it would be really interesting to find out a little bit more about these individual stories and also, I suppose, why you're interested
2: in them. Well, the thing about the four Irish women is it it sort of ballooned into past four. So when I when when that little blurb um, that we were writing, you know, for advertising purposes was it was like four, but it actually turned out to be more. And some of them aren't really that well known. Um, but I'll be talking a, a little bit more about it on Sunday was the first one that I was definitely inspired by was by reading um, a history of of um, of Irish immigrants in New Zealand um, was a woman called Jane Ryle. And she only took one line, uh, a one line sentence in the book was that Jane Ryle used to walk down. She lived in Barrytown, which is in the West Coast. Um mm of of New Zealand and she used to walk down to the shore every night to say her rosary because she believed the wind came from Ireland. Oh. And I thought, it even gives me goosebumps now, I thought. Because I was living in Picokariki at the time. Yeah. And I just had Robbie and I was a bit homesick. And I thought, Yeah, this it just really resonated with me mm. that this woman would go down to the shore just so she could be as close to Ireland. Well, in her mind, Mm, mm. to be as close to Ireland as she could be. So I sort of transported the poem because I never, I hadn't been to Barrytown. Um, And we, that Christmas, we were going to Great Barrier Island, where Andrew's family have had a batch for 40 years or something like that. So I transported the story, the idea of the story to... To Great Barrier Island, and I wrote this okay. this poem yeah. about it, and that was the first woman that that inspired me. Um, and then I'd read other things, like the one thing I was really interested in, and I'm um, I'm giving you little hints from from what I'll be talking about on Sunday was a lot. There was a huge shortage for domestic servants in wealthy wealthy Canterbury, right, and most of them would have been Irish. They actually. Um, Um, supersede the English, coming over to be domestic servants. And my grandmother was a domestic servant. So it was all those kind of connections of family. And also, I I was talking to a friend recently of uh, sort of thinking about the idea of where you came from. So my father's family were like landless laborers, tenants often, very poor, right? Right. And my mother's side of the family, wealthy okay. dairy farmers, right? Mm. So you can understand they didn't quite approve my father when they, when they mm. got together. But in terms of emigration, what I found fascinating was my dad was one of six, four out of the six emigrated. My mother was one of five, nobody on that side of the family emigrated, you know, so I was quite interested in the idea of why people emigrate and it's often because of economic circumstance mm. or they're trying to find their way in the world. Or in in terms of, say, Andrew's family who came from Northern Ireland, his great, great grandfather was one of nine children. So and they were the, the, the two that came out to New Zealand, Hamilton and Logan, um, they were the last two. And of course, all of the, do you know what I mean? All of the land would have been, they they, they had nothing available yeah. to them. So it was kind of like, well, do we hang around here and maybe help our brother, but we'll always be under our brother's sort of, you know, mm. uh, influence or whatever. Or do we, you know, take a chance? And they came out in 1862 to, the, to Otago, to the gold fields. Okay. So... Mm. It, yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty much my own family history that's always made me interested in in history and emigration. Yeah, yeah. it
1: is really interesting to think of it in class terms, isn't it? Like that. That. It, yeah. You know, um, because there does seem to be less people who have a lot of money or come from a wealthy background or are very landed that actually want to even or need to. Or need they don't need to. need to. No, they don't yeah. need to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. yeah. No, and of course those large families were very common. So mm. lots of them. Leave yeah. Yeah, out. yeah, So you're um, using this historical fact and mixing it with fiction. So that's absolutely fascinating. And what, what's at the core of your practice? Why did you decide to work this way?
2: As I said, I've always been like history and English were always my favourite subjects ever since I was very small. So um, I've always been interested in history. I'm probably more interested in historical fiction and history than I am in contemporary literature, to be honest. And I also like the opportunity that either writing or researching history for historical fiction purposes, you kind of realise that there's a lot of crossover between then and now, you know, mm. it's, you know, that you kind of the question you often ask your, yourself is like, have we really come that far? You yeah. know, <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, do you know what I mean? I and haven't. unfortunately, sometimes you're like, mm, in some respects, not really, mm. you know. Um, so I've always been kind of interested in, you know, um, like taking a story like that woman mm. and just reimagining it, but reimagining it in a way that I think is authentic because as an immigrant myself, I can empathize with her longing, you yeah. know, because even though like I'm from Limerick and I'm from suburban Limerick, which isn't the prettiest. Um, there are certain aspects of Ireland, like rural Ireland or, or coastal Ireland that I would really mm. like long for, you know, yeah. like the Atlantic, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so so it's to take those longings and feelings and stories that come out of history and kind of make them, I guess, relevant, really, it's, you know.
0: So as a historian, it always fascinates me um, about how much research you do historically mm. as a as a fiction writer. Because I remember P.D. James saying once in an interview that she once wrote that someone jumped on their Harley Davidson and reversed <laughs> down the, oh no, jumped on their motorbike and reversed down the lane. So she got postcards from all over the world saying, well, you couldn't do that. Yeah. And then someone sent a postcard saying, well, you could have if it was a Harley Davidson. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: yeah. when you get it wrong.
2: Yeah. So how do you I'm really fastidious about it actually because I and, and that probably comes from the academic background as right. well of like having to get the research right. And if you don't, someone's gonna pick it out and embarrass life out of you. Like I was once at this talk which kind of cracked me up. It was actually the welcome talk to to the Burns in the in the mm. local library. And I had this extract where this it started off in Edinburgh in the 1920s and I was reading about a man who'd just come back from war. He was shell-shocked. He was in a convalescence home. And I described the oak in a cer- the oak colours, the leaves in a certain colour, right? And at the end of the talk, this guy said to me, you know, the oak leaves in that, in, at that time of the year are, are not they're not that colour always or, and I was actually he was wrong <laughs> he was he wrong. was I actually was wrong because uh-huh. I was I was <laughs> yeah actually it is usually, but he was actually because um, again like of no. course I grew up in Ireland in autumn Yeah. So yeah. plenty of Blooming yeah. oakleys knew what colour they were because he was talking about North American of course, yeah, and yeah. then I was just yeah. thinking you know and you're, you're polite and you don't say anything and, yeah. and all you can say is like oh I look into that but th- when, when it came to the life of Dayath I was yeah. writing about about New Zealand right so I read loads about World War One about the soldiers about the letters um I love writing about nature um so Andrew's mum came in handy there because she's an absolute nature forest and nature bird person so she would have checked a lot of things as well Yeah, because in that uh novel The Colour
0: um I forget the English author but she talks about voles in New Zealand. and we. Knew. That's
2: right. I remember, was it Ruth? Rend- oh, it wasn't mm. Ruth Rendell, but I no, do no, know. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: It'll come to me. But she got caught out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and the moment you read something like that, you go... Oh. You kind of lose,
2: yeah. confidence, lose in confidence in it as well. Yeah. Unless you're doing, because because Asanya knows, my next idea for a novel is an alternative history. So it's imagining, say the Wait- Waitangi Treaty was never signed, mm. right? Say one of the, the Iwi, Naitahu, mm. uh, hooked up with the French and not mm, the British. Mm. You know, that's a different situation. You're you're putting it out there already mm. that this is an alternative history. I'm imagining what if, mm. right? Mm. But I think if you're actually in the historical period, then you really have an own you know, to get it as 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 correct mm. as you can. Mm. The other thing that I did in the Life of Dayath, because I sort of I wanted to use a Maori name, so I used for a lot of the, the like, for example, for Port Chalmers, I would copy k- tie a or Takare or something mm. like that, because that gave me a way of like reimagining when I was imagining it, it was my version of, say, Moana or something mm. like that. Mm. So, um, so the people couldn't say, like, "Oh well, that cliff actually isn't there, and that isn't. <laughs> you know. So it was like being accurate, but our perception of something is quite different from another person's of course, perception. Yeah. You know, so I think that's quite important as well. But yeah, no, I'm 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 terrified of getting historical facts wrong or like like you were saying. Uh, It's Rose Tremaine. Yeah, Yeah, Rose Tremaine, Tremaine. because there was a story that I read out um, at a literary salon in Dunedin once. And I had this character on it was set in the Orkney Islands, actually and it was in the just after the second world war i think it was or no it was just after the first world war and i had the character on a motorbike and you know, he was he was doing something on the motorbike mm-hmm. and one of the one of the people pointed out at the end very politely they said that motorbike it w- it wouldn't have been the, you know, this leg movement it would have been a hand movement or something and that was actually really helpful mm, you know mm. um, the oak not so much yeah,
0: most books <laughs> probably shouldn't get a mention in any fiction I, <laughs>
1: I, clearly not yeah yeah. it's really yeah. interesting to listen to you because like as you know as academic historians I always kind of look to people who write creative fiction especially when it's like historic based and think oh, wouldn't it be wonderful that you could just let loose but literally you can't you can't you have to put terms, down the research you
2: can in terms of story and I always I always think it's really brave of writers like say Fiona Kidman mm. who takes a historical yeah. figure mm. you know and puts words in their mouth I think that's really bra- I don't know if I'd be able to you know she did it with um, with a Jean Albert Black and, and Albert Black, Black as yeah. well mm. Um, and there are writers you know or let's say for example Hilary Mantel with Wolf Hall and you yeah. know imagine like those people existed in history and you were putting yeah. words in, like I'm sort of like you, you could have a historical figure in the novel, you know, or you could imagine what they might say. But I, I haven't gone that far yet. I don't know if I would really. I like to imagine imaginary people in a historical yeah. context as opposed to real people, if yeah. you know what I mean.
1: And would you consider then that you write historical fiction or that you fall into that genre or... Do you think it's something else or that you don't want to maybe label yourself as within?
2: There has been a lot of writers I've listened to interview and they're very, they get very het up when they're called, you write historical fiction, you know, I don't really worry about it, you know, it's like it's it's fiction set in the past, you know, Um, I think they get maybe they get a bit het up because they think, you know, it's not really historical fiction because obviously, you know. I'm writing it from a twenty first century point of view, so it's not really historical. So um I don't like to sort of get bogged down in in, mm. in I think that's a publishers' job. Like publishers tend to worry yeah. about that where they can fit you. Are you speculative or are you thriller or are you crime or whatever? Or science fiction. Or, or science yeah. fiction. But I don't actually most writers don't think like that, you know? Mm. And it can be can be kind of frustrating to be boxed in into one, but um, I don't mind if someone says, Oh, do you write historical fiction? I'm not particularly bothered. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh are you working on this new
0: novel at the moment about reimagining the past? <laughs> well, or?
2: No, I'm actually working on rewriting a novel that I started actually before the PhD and mm-hmm. then it turned into a novella. Uh so it was a novel and then I shortened it to, to a novella. Um and then I expanded it to a novel and I'm kind of rewriting that at the moment. It's set in sort of 1979, Ireland. I thought that was a pivotal sort of place to set it because it's my first memory of like my first. Someone described it quite well, actually, they said, oh, that was your first public memory. So what what they mean by that is 1979 was the year the Pope visited Ireland. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Massive like people filling fields full of people mm. and I remember going to Limerick Racecourse mm. and I was three and a half years old just it was just before my fourth birthday and I remember the helicopter and seeing the Pope's soutane blowing in the wind you know and I thought that would be a really interesting part of history to mm. say, because so many things happened in 1979, 1980, mm. the women's movement was starting yeah. to get up and, yeah. and, and things like, for example, the child, like the child's allowance that, that people had for, they used to get a certain amount of money. I yeah. remember my mother yeah. even talking about it, yeah. Donnie, mm. you probably remember that. Mm. But before 1979, it was the man that collected yeah. the children's oh, allowance. And in of New course, Zealand, it was always paid to the mother. Mm. And often you of often wrong. you can imagine mm. the woman never saw mm. the Sorry. money. Yeah, so so they changed yeah. the law. I think it was I can't I, I, I don't know. I think it was seventy seven seventy six. It was you know in mm. the seventies that mm. the woman could then go to the post office. Yeah. So it was a fascinating oh, period of history. Fascinating, mm. yeah. It'd yeah. be
0: a very interesting comparative,
2: yeah. Thing. Yeah, so yeah, it goes between, actually
1: between here and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, between yeah, Ireland
2: yeah, and yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. and so then it goes sort of 70s to 1950s, and I was thinking maybe, maybe I could even bring in you know the moon landing somewhere. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. I well, what's it called? You know. Does it give um, do I've, I've sort of I'm changing titles around, so I, I don't really know what it's called at the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then there's always when you're kind of rewriting one. Often there's another idea pushing. Right. Write me, write me. Yeah. So I, I, I thought the alternative history because I I sort of envisaged there was this woman who was walking around Port Chalmers. Um, port Chalmers once once known as Dogtown, right? Hmm. For a number of reasons, because it was kind of it was known as being a port town, quite rough, a lot of sailors, a lot of fights, that kind of thing. Um. And also because it had a lot of dogs. So there was this woman who used to walk around in the morning um, um, in her 50s, used to kind of bleach blonde hair and she'd have her dog and her glasses. And I used to see her regularly. And I think I, I kind of just took her and I thought, what if there was a woman, something like, you know, the character like from Peaky Blinders. Um, Thomas Shelby, you know, he kind of struts around no, Birmingham, mm. you know, and he's he sort of like really mm. confident. So take this woman, put her back into the 19th century, and she has two Irish wolfhounds. That's crazy, you know. Mm. So I just mm. then it sort of started from there, mm. you know. So, but I don't know where it's going. Oh, I
1: like this woman already. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds good. And just as we're kind of talking about possible connections there with Ireland and New Zealand, do you think that there's an interest in connections between the two countries? And I'd be interested to see what do you think? Do you think there'd be more people in Ireland interested in finding out about these Irish New Zealand connections or the other way around. So even when you're talking about this, this work that you're talking about, you, you are talking about connecting that Irish emigrant into New Zealand in mm. the 19th century. Mm.
2: I think my perception so far of being here for 12, nearly 13 years and kind of going back and forth is that I think I think Irish People of Irish heritage in New Zealand are very interested in in, the, in their uh, you know their Irish heritage. Mm-hmm. You know they'll often I w- when I was in Paihia and I'd be walking around ro- Robbie with the buggy, it's like you'd, you'd open your mouth and you'd say, <laughs> "Where are you from?" And then they say, "Oh, my great grandmother was from this." You know, so they're very very interested in Irish connections. I think this generation, the generation that my students are, often. I'm fascinated by surnames. So if I Mm. hear an unusual name, like there's, you know, a Czech name or a German name and we talk about it's often an icebreaker for me. I'm like, tell me about your name, you know, and I do come across young ones who are like 1920 with Irish surnames. But they don't. They're not that interested in family history. Maybe it's a an age thing. I think
0: it is an age thing. Actually, but I don't yeah.
2: know I think it might be a personality thing. Yeah, it's well, my I've mm. been interested in it since I was very yeah, small. Me too. You know. Yeah. So, um, and I do think that Irish people in New Zealand are becoming more and more aware. Sorry, Irish people at home are becoming more and more aware of New Zealand. Yeah. You know, because I remember like when I first um, wrote The Life of Death and I sort of entered it into this um, to the novel award there, they were just like oh, New Zealand, I know, it's kind of Mm. like this exotic place that they don't know Mm. much about. And the other thing I was actually saying to Andrew just the other day was the fact that the COVID-19 response has been so phenomenal in New Zealand has actually in a way put us on the map. I think people are more aware of, Mm. of New Zealand than they were before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It,
0: when you write are you writing for an international audience or do you have a new zealand or irish audience in mind or
2: probably pro- probably i mean i don't know when i when i'm writing away, i'm kind of writing for i i, I guess just to get to the next to the <laughs> next scene or whatever um i mm, i suppose in an ideal situation i'd be writing for international, international. yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's we're we're very much looking forward to mm. reading your work, and it's wonderful actually to have that imaginative recreation of events. I think a lot of people learn their history through reading fiction mm. because it, it's a, a way into it where they're not having to. That, the facts are sort of subterranean in a way that if you read a history book are more yeah. up front. Yeah. So. Um, I'm sure there'll be a great deal of interest and and thinking about the Irish women immigrants is certainly uh, a hidden story in many ways and we think it's history well worth repeating.